Hey kids, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio. This month, we are talking with Amy Ostreicher. My name is Amy, and I'm going to tell you my story. Now, it's not a story you hear every day. For a while, it was a story I couldn't understand, like the sick plot of a psychological thriller. My life was out of control, so I called a therapist. She listened to my flustered ramblings, and she calmly replied, you have to tell your story. Tell my story? Yes, you have to put into words what happened to you. Amy is an actor, singer, dancer, and playwright. Her current show is called Gutless and Grateful, but I'm going to testify that she is a woman who is anything but gutless. In fact, her courage is truly off the charts. You'll understand what I mean after you hear her talk. But in the meantime, I'm putting out a small content warning. There will be a passage or two in the show which describes some rather extreme medical situations. But that said, there are some people who are definitely born to be doing musical theater. Amy's one of them. I didn't know anything else. Uh, I, I mean, as soon as I can remember, I was creating. And that means, like, you know, forcing my dad to videotape me while I made these skits or... Or, I mean, I was always in my own world. I mean, as soon as I could remember, I was, you know, directing my friends in little plays and, and being obsessed with Les Mis before I even knew what, like, French was. Um, so, so, I mean, it, it, it's always, you know, I was the theater girl um, from the time I could remember, really. You know, my parents really nurtured in that in me. You know, my mom was always buying those, like, creative kits and things like that. And... And I mean, creativity was always kind of like my second language. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, as, as soon as I could remember, you know, it was really when I got my hands on my dad's camcorder, I think. Oh, boy. Um, because, yeah. And, and I mean, if you go, we were sorting through all our old uh, VHS tapes. And they are all made. You were the star of the family. Oh, I'm, well, you know, if you think of it just in the setup, um, I had three older brothers who were all about like 15 years older than me. So I was kind of like the little princess. Were they supportive? Uh, were they protective? All of the above. And of course I made them be in my skits too. That must have been fun. For me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely. <laughs> well, I guess you break out the tapes at, uh, you know, holiday time to say, hey, look what happened when I was a kid. I don't know. Can you find me a machine that plays VHSs anymore? I've actually got one. I was just looking at it not 10 minutes ago because uh, we've got some videotapes from, oh my gosh, I think the dark ages. So you grow up, you're a singer, you're a dancer, family supportive. Um, you've got all these grand plans to take Broadway by storm, I'm gathering. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> a week before your prom. What happens? Well, you know, it's funny because I was always doing theater from the time I could remember. And then, you know, as soon as I found out what an agent was, I was on that. Like, I was definitely the stage daughter. And I was so driven. I remember, you know, looking at all my friends thinking, like, God, you know, I sort of feel bad for them. Like, I really have, like, a plan in my head about exactly how my life is going to go. And my friends are still kind of, searching for themselves which is kind of ironic because um i had applied to all these schools um mostly around me in in new england but i applied to two that mostly because they had uh, you know amazing theater programs uh you know musical theater program at the university of michigan 
and and then the theater program at Northwestern. And right. I got into to both, which I was really excited about. And so that whole week, like the biggest stress of my life was trying to figure out which one to go to. Um, and then we had like our big Passover Seder at the end of that month. And, um, you know, everything was fine. And then my stomach just really started hurting and everything kind of just accelerated really quickly. Um, you know, I was just in a lot of pain that didn't go away. And so my parents just kind of took me to the emergency room to, you know, for an x-ray, um, just to see what was going on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. And then of course my mother, who's like natural, this, everything, um, was saying, you know, she can only have one x-ray, but I was, I mean, I'd never felt pain like that. And then you, everything else is kind of just what people tell me. Cause obviously I don't remember anything, but I guess the surgeons cut into me and there was so much internal pressure. Uh -huh. Like I had, I had gone septic, a sepsis that there was like a blood clot that, um, my stomach literally hit the ceiling of the operating room. And apparently if I got in there like a second later, um, all the fluid would have gone to my internal organs and I would have died. Apparently, you don't need a stomach to survive because I don't have a stomach. And uh, I won't spoil everything yet, but uh, I'm okay now. If anyone was curious if your stomach is like completely essential, it's, it's not. Okay, so you, you, your stomach had a blood clot. All the pressure built up. Uh, they went in and I guess all heck breaks loose and yeah. you ended up and with, you ended up without us without a stomach um well well before that I mean well I guess at the same time so I was in a coma for months you know and and you know my parents had, had taken me to the emergency room you know not knowing they were going to spend months there you know so this was our Passover Seder so we kind of just left you know not knowing that our lives would change forever yeah. um but but yeah i was in a coma for months and you know at first the surgeons told my parents that i was going to make it through the night um then it was like minute to minute then it was day to day but you know it was really from nowhere how did you uh, get sustenance um intravenous fluid mm. like directly to to the veins nothing by mouth no. Okay. So then I woke up months later and the doctors told me that, you know, one, I had no stomach anymore, but they also told me that I couldn't eat or drink and they didn't know if I'd ever be able to again. So talk about kind of waking up in, in the twilight zone, you know, yeah. and you know, the fruit, you know, cause I was in my head, like, you know, I was just in dance class the week before you know, and I was like going to high school. So it's like so weird when it's like, oh, suddenly you're not going back to school and uh, this is life now and you can't eat or drink. And, and, you know, I also didn't understand that, like when the body's on bed rest for so long, you, you wake up and you can't move. Like I didn't understand like why, you know, all my muscles had turned to jello. And when I was in a coma for all those months, you know, the nurses also left me on my right side for all that time. Mm. So I woke up. So all the nerves got really compressed. So I woke up with like the worst neuropathy 
that, you know, to this day, my right leg's always going to be a little skinnier than my left because, like, the nerves. And that, you know, that's another story. But I never thought I'd be able to dance again, let alone walk. Um, So it was definitely, like, waking up and having a lot to, you know, to confront in a very short period of time, while my family had already had time to, you know, acclimate to this. You know, by the time I woke up, this was like the hood for my parents. You know, my brother was dating one of my ICU nurses. You know, they were kind of used to life there. Right. Um, so, so you know, I was, you know, I was waking up when people were telling me how much better I was looking. So it was really like, you know, wait, I don't belong in this life. What's so you going had, on? You had several months of catch up when everybody else was living the reality. Yeah, and I think that kind of was a benefit, too, that I had never been sick before. So, like, you know, I was not used to this role as, like, a patient. So, like, I think the biggest fear that I had, ultimately, once I started being able to think about things, was, like, oh, my God, like, I don't want to be a has-been at 18. You know, as a performer, all you really want to do is, like, make your mark on on the world. And because I was such a performer, like, that was more than just what I like to do. That was, like, my life force. I think that, and this is what I talk about all the time now, but that was really my survival skill because it filled me with this, like, manic drive to just, like, you know what, I'm not going to stay in bed. I got to keep going, you know, because that was my motivation. It's like, I have to still do this. It's not, you know, I got mad. It's just like, it's not fair that that's what's going to happen. So giving up wasn't even an option for you? No, and I think it's because I've always been like a type A overachiever and also I'm really antsy. So like, seriously, like as soon as I could figure out how to walk and believe me, that was such a struggle. Yeah, my mom was the one in my hospital bed, like watching reruns of Everyone Loves Raymond. And I was the one that was always, you know, taking walks in the ICU with my big Ugg boots. And the nurses would always chase me around, like trying to get my vitals. Like, okay, where did Amy go? <laughs> um, to the point where, you know, and and the truth is um, how, you know, part of like resilience is really adaptation and learning to make a home wherever you are. And our family was like the epitome of that because, you know, I'm strong, but no doubt I couldn't have made this without my family. But what, what is kind of so beautiful about this is, you know, my family really did, you know, to the point where the psychiatrist thought we all had, you know, ICU psychosis. But, you know, we made a normal life and we found the humor and we found joy where we could. And, and it was so beautiful that, you know, I've actually just finished a full-length drama that I wrote, you know, about my family there, because I think what is so amazing is that we were all faced, you know, taking you know, trauma affects everyone. You know, we were all faced with such terrifying odds, but, you know, if you, you got to accept what you can control and what you can't, and you get through the best way, otherwise you just end up being a vegetable, you know, that, that even yeah. if you move on, you'll always, you know, you'll always just be in that past mode. I mean, I was just presenting at the uh, Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor um, because there's an association for that, <laughs> um, you know, about, you know, how that, you know, humor was like a survival sure, skill. Yeah. Oh, the humor, humor gets people through the worst of situations. It seems like every time something goes wrong, the jokes start 
coming in about the most horrible of things just to keep people smiling and laughing. You know, I took a playwriting class a few years ago, and, and this sentence always stuck with me. I'm sure he didn't make it up himself, but it says everything about humor. You know, he said humor equals truth plus distance, and that's exactly what it is. You know, it's, it's the truth, and then we can give ourselves a little padding from it so we're not like... You know, it's not like killing us. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's amazing what we will do to survive. And humor is one of the things I think that keeps us going through just about anything. What kind of medical treatment did you have to go through? And how does one get sustenance without having a uh, I mean, that's another, yeah, that's another story. I mean, so really the, the TPN, which is what we call, you know, the IV fluid, you know, really, Really saved my life because that you know you'd understand that you know where my stomach was supposed to be there was just like an abdominal cavity there now so anything that could have gone into it would have killed it so that means like I couldn't have a feeding tube because there was nothing to connect it to you know mm -hmm. so I mean this was really and this is a testament to the surgeons from like eight different hospitals who were to save my life because I don't have like a diagnosis, like a thing, like when you, there literally like is not something that's happened that you can just like look up and be like, Oh, she needs treatments, A, B, and C. Um, so it turned out being six years that I couldn't eat or drink anything, oh my but gosh. well, and 27 surgeries, but what took so long wasn't, was, was not just that they had to wait for the, inflammation to go down and the healing you know which did have to happen but honestly what took so long is we had to find a surgeon that could figure out something to do you know we, you know because surgery is kind of like an art too especially right. when it's not like a okay this is a open heart surgery or, or okay this is a 10 step whatever i mean not that those this are is nothing that's things, been on but, the books before you, you you came in with a completely brand new right so yeah. it helps that my dad was a doctor, so he had connections, and, and he called the head of NIH, and the guy was like, listen, you need a surgeon surgeon. Like, you need a surgeon that takes all the cases that no one else really wants to do. Um, so we found a, Salem, uh, a, a surgeon, uh, Dr. Salem at Yale, and he figured out this two-part surgery, and the first part was um, 19 hours, and that took three shifts of nurses and doctors. Oh, my gosh. Um, and um, but that was only surgery. To give you a perspective, that was surgery number 13. So everything that came after is, you know, basically because it wasn't like a proven thing, you know, things would be stitched together and things open. And then, you know, because there's no guarantees in surgery, and especially when it hasn't been done and done. So... Really, I mean, that 13th surgery, and I talk about this in my TED Talk, too, but, um, you know, that was three years into it. So for a week, if you want to count that, I had a week where, like, oh, I'm done. And then my wound literally exploded when I was in Malibu, and I had to be air-backed across the country to Yale. And then after that, it came just like a many, many, many ups and downs to the point where, you know, to be honest, you know, it's 
2017 and yeah. I still have an open wound that hasn't healed. Now, now the stories of that is that what took, you know, all the, what really drove me crazy is, you know, my wound has never really been fine. And so typically when you have something open after surgery, the typical treatment for it is, you know, stop eating and drinking and just go on IV fluids because that gives your gut a chance to heal. Yeah. Um, and so I did that many, many times, but because I am like no other, you know, it would turn into day, you know, 99, like day 100. You know, this is all on my blog, <laughs> which is ironically a cooking and baking blog because I cooked food to deal with not eating it. And to the point where I think the last time I just went along with those instructions was about five years ago to the point where, you know, I got so fed up that I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I don't care if my wound is leaking. I'm not going to just stop eating and drinking and wait for something to heal when it's not. So, so now like the current status of things is, is I'm eating and drinking and great, but you know, I have a wound that has not healed forever and I'm, I'm living my life because, you know, I would never have it any other way, but you know, it's not easy and you try to be grateful for, for what you have while, while always still feeling yeah. like you, you've been like given an unfair blow. Um, but, but, you know, it was a big conflict in my life, you know, for the past decade, like, do I follow doctor's orders and who don't really have a guarantee anyway? My anatomy has changed <laughs> with every surgery. Um, but there's last, and there's a funny story. I mean, I say funny while like crying on the inside, but there, there's a story behind this that when we get to, you know, in this interview, when I premiered my one woman musical, Gutless and Grateful, um, in 2012, that was like this 70 minute musical about my life. And, you know, I was looking good and performing it and laughing about these stories and the stupid hospitals. And then four days after that, ironically, it was on election day, my father pointed out, um, I had my 27th surgery. And this is going to be our, uh, you know, one more try, you know, because yeah. you know, going into surgery is always a risk. But we were like, you know what, let's just see what they can do. And that turned into three emergency surgeries in eight days. And it actually sent me back even farther than any of the surgeries I've had. So I, I would say since the end of 2012, this has been like the most impossible circumstances where like anyone that sees me on social media, like doing everything I'm doing, like it's kind of unbelievable. I'm walking and talking to be honest. And I, I try not to complain about it because, you know, it doesn't really do anything, but yeah. But, um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, you don't really have a choice. You're not a surgeon yourself, so you just keep going. <laughs> I honestly think you don't really have too much of a choice. Honestly, there seems to be only two things to do, either give up or keep going. And you don't right? seem like the kind of person who has that, that second choice, uh, that, that give up choice anywhere yeah, in her any, life or any, makeup, you know? Any good actor in New York can't either. Uh, well, that's, I'm yeah. <laughs> that's another story. Let's 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 talk about your show, okay? Um, yeah. Gutless and grateful, and 
Yeah, so that came many years, many years down the line. Um, not even in my... This, when did you decide to turn this into a, in, into a musical? Well, first I had to just, I had to be done, you know, with all like the crises and stuff, which was not until, you know, when I really think back on the time frame, it's really amazing that I got something together from nowhere because we're talking, you know, I told you I had been air-vacked across the country because my wound exploded. Yes. Um, I, I mean, this is, this is again, summed up in my TED Talk, but I call that, a, ironically, a beautiful detour because in that hospital, you know, I actually started visual art. You know, I started just painting, and that was, like, the first time that I really had a, a break from all this medical, you know, crisis. And you hear all, you know, all the time about, oh, how the arts are therapeutic and stuff. But I mean, this was like, this was the proof, you know, for yeah. such impossible circumstances. So anyway, I was finally discharged from that hospital, um, not because anything was better, but they just didn't know what, they didn't know what else to do. So they're just like, go home. Um, but, but I came out an artist which was a really powerful tool because, and I'm mentioning this first because I don't think I could have put that show together without art on my side first because you have to understand through all this time, this was like almost a decade by now, I all I was doing was just uh, getting through. Yeah. You know, I didn't really have time for like artistic reflection, but now that I had art, like I had a way to express all this. So it was actually a time for me to process and create and all that, and, and you know, it was just an odd sequence of events because, you know, I wasn't even used to using my voice anymore, but I ended up on the Today Show uh, for my art, you know, not even anything else. Uh, they thought it was so cool that I put up a whole art show, you know, like a month after being discharged from the hospital. Um, and so, you know, the thing is they do, uh, Kathy Lee and Hoda on their Today Show segment, uh, her and uh, David Freeman, who's, you know, not only uh, first just a great guy, um, but also, you know, he's a great composer. Um, so they write a song for for that person, and they have like a Broadway person sing it. And actually, um, you know, who sang it? Um, Heidi, Heidi Blinkenstaff, huh. um, who's who's wonderful. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, that kind of re you know, sparked my theater interest. I mean, the first thing I thought of was like, I should be singing that song. You know? <laughs> but, um, but, but I went up to David after and I'm like, uh, you know, I kind of, I always wanted to put like a cabaret act together and I knew you do that. So like, can we maybe meet like once? And he's like, yeah, sure. Um, and I'm sure that he was probably thinking, like, oh, okay, you know, the sick girl we honored on the Today Show. Like, I'll do that. Um, but it turns mm -hmm. out, you know, know what he, he was lived... in for. Yeah, but also he lived 10 minutes away, um, you know, and we got together. And then he recommended, you know, someone I could work with. And and that was in, um, that was only about a year and a half before, but somehow, you know, I think anyone that feels, you know, once they get that inspiration, it's like, and whatever I do, I do obsessively. And now like, this was my thing. Like for the first time, like I had an identity. 
I was doing a show, you know, because there's also a big insecurity for me that like, I was kind of just like kicked out of the hospital. I didn't get to go to college. I didn't have a job. I was like, what am I doing? You know, so I was like, I am getting this camera act together um, to the point where my mom was like, you know, you're really into this act. Like, do you like, you know, there was there was a lot of hesitation because, you know, I was kind of still half on IVs like, you know, like could I really, you know, I rented, I booked a theater, the triad in New York, Hmm. uh, you know, it was a big, it was a risk. It was a gamble. Um, but you know, especially I hadn't even performed or, you know, forget about that. I hadn't even shared my story at all. I mean, it was in the news, but I never talked about it. So it was kind of like a, a nervy move to take this theater in New York and be like, I'm going to just do something. And you know what? It it came together in October 2012. Uh, you know, I went crazy with publicity. I ended up with critics and and um, you know, full houses. And um, it was just so amazing for me in every sense. And the triad. You know, I can't say enough good things about everyone there. Mm. You know, on 72nd, and I did it there again the next year. And tell then I went on. About, tell us a little bit about the show itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, originally it just started as I wanted to work with David and I wanted to put together some songs and maybe talk about them, you know, like a cabaret act, you know, how it related to my life, all that, you know, but like I didn't anticipate, you know, I was turning into like theater and, and I realized, you know, through writing it that, you know what, like I had stuff to say. Um, and so we started dramatizing it and, and basically, and then like I had a, you know, the the show, you know, has mostly you know, songs that are not mine, because that's how it started. But you know, all through this time, I had been writing my own songs, but you know, I never shared them. And I found that one song that I wrote would really fit into this, so I did incorporate that. Um, and it's a seventy-minute musical. Um, you know, using those songs and my song and then the song that David had written for me, um, kind of about my life. Um, and so I did it in 2012. And the long story short is that I've been touring it consistently since, oh, my God, it's, it's over six years now. I I don't think I've gotten to like I don't know, a few straight months without doing it. I'm, I mean, in this year alone, I've done it in about 30 places in, oh in, uh, in, in 12, you know, I've been everywhere from Hawaii, Minnesota, Florida, Arizona, Washington, DC, like seven times. Um, I'm going to California next year, which I'm really excited about. And, and Ohio and, um, Georgia and Pennsylvania and New Jersey. So, you know, because I've also, you know, it, it premiered with a five-piece band, you know, when I wasn't broke. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> but now, you know, it's a, it's great with colleges too because I, I do a, you know, mental health like education kind of talk back with it and and workshops. So you know, with colleges alone, you know, I've been touring it across the country and and for me that's so great because you know that was the age and yeah. all this happened. Oh, and and to cap that off, you know. After my show premiered, I I reapplied to college and I just graduated last month, uh, 30. So 
Good it's for never, you. Congratulations. It's never too late. Yeah, yeah. I got it. And, you know, I had a great college experience. And because of the amazing professors I had while I was there, I wrote three full-length plays and a new uh, docudrama piece that I am just did yesterday. Wow. And so, I mean, I can't say enough good things about my experience. Yeah, um, I guess you, I, you, I was, I was going to ask you what the responses were to Gutless and Grateful, what the reviews were, but it's, I think you just answered that question because you're, you're touring consistently. Let me ask you this instead. Yep. The folks who come to the, to the show, all right, first of all, have to be stunned by your courage and resilience, but what about folks who've been in situations like yours who have faced, I'm going to say, insurmountable <clears throat> odds and are dealing with finding ways to move on how much contact do you have with folks like those and and what happens oh i mean that that's another podcast i mean and and definitely i want to give you the link to share about my ted talk because that's really for me that's what i like doing even more than this show which is what this evolved into that now i'm giving presentations on ptsd and healing from trauma and and listen just like my physical scars aren't healed with from you know PTSD is something you always live with um you know, and I'm actually uh tonight I'm hopping on an Amtrak to go to the Mental Health America conference uh where I presented last year as well um because um you know the title I gave was about being a detourist and having detours in life but the thing with detours is you know, you don't know where they're going, so they scare the heck out of you. And then, you know, if you stay open and follow that path and, and trust that, you know what, I don't know where this is going tomorrow, um, but I'm just going to be right here and stay open, um, that eventually it will turn into something, but only be, not by a miracle, but only because you're making it that way. Um, so that's one thing, but the thing with detours is you get to that place where you find the meaning and then you know life totally throws you under again and you have to keep swerving and so I think the best advice that I can give because I still have plenty of detours um is is you know to stay grounded and, and now from my presentations I end up boiling it down to what I realized in retrospect were my uh, four hardcore skills to resilience, which were hope, creativity, stories, and gratitude. And I explain this a little more when I give these presentations. But basically, these, you know, I didn't have therapy. I didn't have anything to help me. I, I was really left to my own devices, which was crazy thinking back on it. That does um, seem but, like a large gap in somebody's treatment coming back from... Yeah. Well, th well, there's a reason for that. You know, right out of the hospital, the first thing my d parents did was take me to a therapist. But you have to understand the shape I was in. Right. You know, the ther the therapist told my parents, he said, you know, she can't eat and she can't drink. Like, there is no way I can make her sit in a room and talk about her feelings. Like, that's not fair. You know, if you think about it, like, I was out of the hospital and I had to stay numb as a survival skill because, you know, I, my mom was worried I would forget and like drink water. You know, it's one thing being in the hospital when you're like kind of in your nest and like, you know, you're barricaded from all that. But 
I think we were all scared for me to leave the hospital because I couldn't eat or drink. You know, there's water. My parents cleared the fridge. I don't want to say too much because it's in my show. Um, But, but, um, you know, it was (laughs) really I came up with the word being a detourist out of need because, like, I didn't fit into any category. Like, what my life was the epitome of how do you make a roadmap where you have none? So right. getting back to your you know, original question, you know, I think the most rewarding part for me is getting to meet all these people that are still going through things like me. You know, I was you know, just the keynote at the conference for uh, diversity and disability where, you know, one, you know, disability advocate came up to me. And he's like, you know, what if you don't love your detour? What if you hate your detour? And I said, that's okay too. I mean, the point is that you're with it and like, you know, you honor wherever you are because I think the hardest thing for me was when I didn't want to feel anything. I think that was what really, you know, made me unable to move forward in any aspect of my life. And that's why creativity was such a saving grace for me because like, I could feel pain. I could feel tears. You know, I didn't have to numb it out, but it was like in a healthy way. You know, I wasn't like running from it. I was yeah. using it, you know, as, and I think that's the advantage we have as artists that like we can take those really bad things and, you know, use it as fuel. And so that's why a lot of my work that I do with like traumatized communities, um, which I really love working with is, you know, whatever energy we're feeling, you know, whether it's this like uncertainty or grief or pain, you know, the good part about that energy is it's really just energy, you know? So theoretically we can use that energy, you know, if we really think like artists and we can, you know, transform it into something else. You know, I think, I think creativity is not just for the artsy, you know, creativity Mm -hmm. is a survival skill and, and I can say that because I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm writing my book right now. And as I'm going through all the chapters, I'm looking, I'm like, if I did not have creativity, God knows what I would have done. And it's true. <laughs> there, I mean, there was no roadmap. There's, there's no manual. Like you said, there's no manual. There's no roadmap for a lot of things yeah. that life throws us. And, you know, part of survival is figuring a way out of wherever you happen to be at that moment. So it's incredible what you've done um let me i only got a couple of questions left here uh yep yep yep. where are you gonna go from here what goals do you have uh performance goals oh i can yeah i can answer that right away i mean i've been doing this show for six years and it's been an amazing experience and you know it's also take taken me to like entrepreneurial ventures you know where i'm like a keynote speaker and you know, started a business from it and and who knew, you know, all from that. Um, But I know my, and I'm still doing that. Um, But my, you know, personal goal is, you know, you you have to understand that this show, you know, was never meant to be more than a cabaret. So, you know, it's, it's has, it doesn't have my original songs and it has my stories and stuff. But, you know, I spent the fall at the, you know, Eugene O'Neill Center, which was, incredibly inspiring and I've always been creating stuff of my own so I'm really excited you know moving to New York now and I'm I'm really looking to develop I've written so many new plays um I want to start acting again I think 
I think this is the next logical step that telling my story was so therapeutic that that I'm beyond it and I'm sick of it, which is great. You know, it's like the the next healthy step. So I now I want to go back to, you know, not only just acting, um, but, you know, really I became a playwright after this. And, and I'm really proud of the, the material that I'm, I'm creating. And and then the biggest, not the biggest, but then the other goal is, you know, right after uh, my TED Talk, I, I got a really nasty divorce. So now I'm moving to the city and, mm. and hopefully my dating life will have a little less detour. So yeah, those are my goals. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you could do with a few, <laughs> a few, few less detours. Um, right. <laughs> ouch. Wow. Okay, tell us. Oh yeah. How we Always can something. Find... Yeah. Well, that's unfortunately the truth in life, but that's what right? tests us. <laughs> it somehow just manages to bring out some of the most amazing things that we as humans can achieve. Yep. uh, Okay. Tell us how we can find out more about you. Yes. Yes. Are going to be very curious about. And you should be. I'm damn interested. No, just kidding. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's um, the attitude. I'm an actor. You got to fight for yourself. Um, Anyone in New York see my show? Uh, June 30th, I'm so excited to do um, Fine Signs uh, 54 Below. Uh, it's at 9.30 on a Friday night, so that means none of my religious Hasidic cousins are coming, but but anyone else can. Um, but um, I'm really excited for that. I'm also touring it all over the place, so you can check out those dates on my website. Um, so my website is amyoes.com, um, and the show page is slash gutless. Um, but I also, you know, I lead workshops, I speak, I, I do all this. I lead art workshops too, because art is great. Yeah. Uh, you can also see my TED talk on my site and definitely, uh, subscribe because, uh, I give like little detour tips and also I have a book coming out. Yay. Yay. Hey, uh, I, let, let me ask what it's about. Uh, well, listen, you know, obviously it's kind of based on my story, but, um, what I'm really excited about, you know, about this is, you know, to cope with all this, I wrote like thousands and thousands of, of pages, um, you know, stories that, that could help kind of get me through and, you know, creating these like, kind of like fairy tales that it kind of, again, another kind of creative adventure that, that helped me survive. So there's just like a lot of, it, it's going to be a surprise because of course it's going to be okay. some of my story, but it's, um, it's stuff that I haven't shared yet. So I'm excited. Well, uh, <laughs> we're excited to, to see it come out and, uh, taking a look at it. Congratulations, Amy. Um, thank you. This, uh, honestly, you are one of the most remarkable people I've ever run across. And Stop I can't, it. no, I'm serious. I can't even begin to imagine what you've been through. Amy Ostriker, thank you so very, very much thank for being you. on our thank show. You. And, uh, I wish you the best of luck, but somehow I think you're going to conquer whatever happens to come your way. Oh, you're so nice. I want that on a bumper sticker. You got it. Hey, kids, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly, and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at On Offstage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or work in a part of theater that we haven't yet covered, oddly enough, 
or know someone in the theater world who'd make good chat, please send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. Our intro and outro music is Surf Far, Surf Good by the composer Steve Channon. You can hear more of his work on SoundCloud. Onstage Offstage wishes to let its listeners know that we believe in and advocate for a world where all people are free to live their lives as they wish, in peace, without fear. We believe in zero tolerance for acts of hate and bigotry. We believe in universal respect, diversity, and equality in all areas of life for all people, no matter what their nationality, race, religion, age, sexual status, or gender orientation. On Stage Off Stage will never promote or endorse those who seek to diminish others because of who they are. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again, and happy theatering to all of you. <laughs> <laughs>